you have this fear, right? Like I could just be this laughing stock of nutrition. Like what were you thinking? But all my research was saying, this is something like really big. And why aren't people making the connection between absorption and how critical these micronutrients are? That was Amy Pusey. And this is episode 99 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Amy Pusey is a holistic nutritionist, wife and mother of six, and a longtime competitive trail runner who lives in Invermere, B.C., She was the Canadian Mountain Running Champion in 2009 and has represented Canada twice at the World Mountain Running Trophy. Amy has a strong entrepreneurial spirit and has a history of directing Five Peaks and the Trans-Selkirks Run. Although she trained as a nurse originally, after a few years she realized she would rather work on the preventative side of health and switched to nutrition. She became passionate about researching the enzyme phytase and through her company Access Nutrients, hopes that someday phytase be used as part of a preventative and possibly even a treatment regime in impoverished populations suffering from infectious diseases. We talk about how important it is that the nutrition we eat actually be absorbed in the gut and how the absence of this impacts overall health. We also talk about her desire to show her children the benefits of living a healthy lifestyle through both nutrition and exercise. Amy is a passionate, committed, gutsy lady who has defended her need to stay true to herself and the projects she has felt called to pursue. There was so much to talk about with Amy that we have already decided this will be part one of two. Without further ado, let's talk to Amy. Hey, Amy, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yes, so are we. Um, We've been wanting to chat with you for a long time and get to know you a little bit better. Um, Why don't we just dive right in there and get you to um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? What do you do? So I live in Invermere, BC. It's a really small town. We decided to move here last year. We've only been here a year, but we just wanted to get out of Canmore. Um, It was just getting a little too, little too crazy for us. (laughs) And we couldn't enjoy any of the the trails or the places we liked going anymore because it was so busy. So, and we can grow food here. So we, yeah, really like it. Uh, But you grew up in Canmore. Is that right? I grew up in Canmore. Yep. Um, And then I lived in Calgary for quite a while, like 20 years after uh, university. So I always thought it was a, a good dream to get back to Canmore, but then it turned out to not be what I remembered. So we yeah. yeah, come back to a small town. Yeah. And now you mentioned growing your own food. Why is that important to you? Like, are you a gardener or, or where does that all fit into the picture? Oh, I'm a terrible gardener. Um, but I've always wanted to be able to grow my own food. Um, <laughs> I guess for the kids and Canmore has like a one month growing season. So growing up, sometimes we had a garden, but I just think it's amazing when you can go out and pick fresh food out of your garden. And from working as a nutritionist, just like having something 20 feet away versus getting it shipped from thousands of kilometers away, it just is so much better for you. So even though it's a small garden, it's, it's nice to just have some fresh food there. I 100% agree. I grew up on a farm, so we always had like acres of garden. It was a lot of work, but definitely different quality food. And Invermere, yeah, it's a lot warmer. 
that it is in Canmore during the summer and is a awesome little mountain town. And you have you have kids, correct? I do. Yep. Um, between Jake and I, we have six. The youngest is four and the oldest, uh, my twins are 17, almost 18. So they just finished high school. So there's uh, quite a span. That's, that's so that, yeah, I can see why you want to grow some of your own food with that many children to feed. Um, now we, we know you, um, you know, even that alone tells us that you're a busy lady, but we have a lot of, we want to ask you about today. Let's start with just the running part. So, you know, tell us a little bit about how and when you got into running. What is your running background? I started running when I was about 14 and it was just, I, I did summer swim club. So I, I was sort of to try to stay in shape over the winters. I had skied as a kid, a lot of downhill skiing and cross country skiing. But then I stopped it partly because I had asthma and I didn't know it. But then once I got an inhaler and I could actually breathe, I started liking exercising. So, um, so yeah, my first few runs were probably two kilometers. And, and then I, I had a really great uh, phys ed teacher in high school that um, started letting me run with her once in a while. And yeah, it kind of went from there. It was just a really easy, easy thing to do. It was independent and it was um, inexpensive. So I didn't continue with the cross-country skiing partly because of the costs and our family didn't have the money for it. So running was just, you could do it anywhere. And growing up in Canmore, did you just start trail running right away or had you, is that something you found a little bit later? Um, I did start trail running right away and I I don't know that there was any differentiation in my mind back then because probably most of Canmore is trail. Um, And so I'd, I'd go off into the Nordic Center, which was like, 500 meters from our door and and I wouldn't tell my mom where I was going or like she was she was pretty um easy going about that kind of thing so no bear spray no cell phone obviously and mm-hmm. and I would just go run for a couple hours and yeah yeah and she I mean I I've run into bears but I guess I guess I've survived <laughs> those encounters yeah. so it's just a normal occurrence <laughs> yeah so running all those trails um in the Nordic Center all the time and then I think in I think I was 18 or 19 when I first found five peaks somehow. I don't even remember how, but it was like, well, yeah, that's a run at the Nordic center. So it, it still probably wasn't different in my mind, like road versus trail, but I did start Mm -hmm. doing like 10 K races in Calgary. I think when I was about 16. I love how you said, like, basically growing up in Canmore, running was synonymous with trail running, right? It was just like, oh, if you're going to go for a run, you're going to go for a run on the trail. So somewhere between there and then discovering the five peaks when you were, what did you say, like a late teenager, and then winning the uh, Canadian Mountain Running Championships in 2009, somewhere along the way, you got competitive about it. So talk to us about your journey with, um, you know, how seriously you took running in those years. Um, I remember, like, really looking up to Lisa Harvey in Calgary. I think she's still running. And I think my, like, trying to get my 10k time under 40 minutes. And then ran for the University of Alberta with the pandas. Um, And so I think I started like 10 Ks were sort of my, my jam for a little while. And and I had been told, don't run a marathon before you're 18. So I kind of just did 10 Ks a lot until probably after, yeah, after university, I maybe started doing some half marathons. And then 
I think in 2010, Arcteryx asked me if I wanted an entry to Trans Rockies. And I don't think I'd even run a 50K at that point. And so I said yes, because I thought it'd be a really neat event <laughs> to run 120 miles over six days. Um, and so so I started ultra running. Yeah, and did my first 50K that year and actually really liked the distance and being able to slow down a bit and not... 10K is a different kind of pain, right? It's like yeah. all out. And so then getting into the 50K, just it was a lot more fun and easygoing. You could stop to eat and... Yeah. And then I didn't think that I'd ever make it through Trans Rockies, as I think most of us don't when you think about the longer distances, like 100k or 100 miles, which I haven't yet done 100 miles. But for the non-trail runners among us, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about the Trans Rockies? Yeah, it's it's such a neat event. It is a six-day stage race. So you wake up every morning and you're in a, a tent with your your partner. It it used to be a two person event, I think was the only option for the six day. And so you enter with a, a team member and you have to stay within two minutes of each other the entire time. So you cover a lot of elevation and it's all that one's all at I think it starts at eight or nine thousand feet. So it's really high and like breathing fire for the first few days. But then you get to hang out and camp and sit at the like the Chillville tent area. And, and it's just such a neat week because there's such a span of people. There were a lot of elites that used to race back then, but you didn't know whether it was like, you know, when somebody's in running clothes, you don't know whether they have millions of dollars or they live in their van. Like it's just right. such a nice week to get to know people and talk and you have dinner together every night. And it's just this week of like finding your tribe is sort of how I felt. Mm. I have friends that have described it as just summer camp for adults. It sounds yeah. super fun. <laughs> it is. It's a really great event. And I've gone back now four times. Although Jake and I just did like the first day last year because I was, I had set up a booth there, but yeah, it's a really great event. Okay. So it sounds like, yeah, lots of variety in your running background. So you, you were you know, excelled as a mountain running, um, athlete winning for Canada. You had, um, attended the world mountain running championships for Canada twice. Where, where did you get to go for those? What was that experience like? It was really neat. One was in Turkey. Um, mm -hmm. and at the time I did, I don't think I even knew there was such thing as a uphill running championship of any kind. So I think it was 800 meters of gain over eight kilometers so it was basically just straight up oh. the mountain oh. um and i mean canmore is a good place to train for that because you just run up and down the mountains there lots of really great places to train but you just somebody said to me when i was training for that like just get comfortable in the pain cave because you're going to spend the entire race there like there's no letting up from that it's just straight up and everything hurts you're not selling me on it, Amy. <laughs> it sounds like a 10K to me, like just yeah, everything yeah. hurting right yeah. from the, the first step. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Turkey. And then the next one was in Italy. So um, Ooh, both cool. really incredible places to go. They're very different, but, but really neat to be able to travel. So what kind of distances um, are those races? You just said 8K. Are there multiple distances in the, in those events or is there just one? I think it's around 8K both. They alternate between an up-down year where you go, like it's more flowy, but I think the same elevation. Um, so you basically run up and then down the mountain. And then the up year is just straight up. 
and you just start at the bottom, finish at the top and like take a gondola down kind of thing. So um, I don't know if that's similar to sky running or I haven't done any of the sky running races, but yeah, I think they're fairly, fairly short distance wise, but just a lot of elevation. I definitely got my ass kicked there. Like Europeans are (laughs) so fit. And so even if you think you can do okay, you know, at a local level or like a national level in Canada, yeah, we all kind of just, I I think we finished in the back quarter, all of us or, (laughs) or near there. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, you've already, you've touched on a lot of what makes mountain running trail running so so amazing I mean it's taken you all over the world it sounds like and you've met some fabulous people does anything else stand out as a highlight of your competitive career any favorite memories stick with you I mean there's some really neat stories about um, finish lines I guess probably more from uh, race directing but Trans Rockies definitely has been a really neat event and then being able to start Trail Stoke and uh, Trans Selkirks and and work Mm -hmm. on the other side of that event as a director. I feel like trail runners will stop to help people on the trail. Um, I don't see that as often in road racing, not because it's a different type of person, but it's just a different type of race. So if somebody falls in in a trail race or anything happens, like there are 10 people there right away. Um, yeah, and I right. even remember having to stop to help somebody in a race and I was running with my daughter and I asked somebody ahead, like, can you just run with her and make mm-hmm. sure she gets to the finish line, which, you know, just to be able to trust people. I feel like the trail community is just such a, mm. a nice group of people. It's all about the people, right? And, and yeah. those moments, it wasn't about, I got this split and I got this time, yeah. um, and I got a really cool medal. It was about the people. So Let's. You just gave us the perfect segue here. We really wanted to ask you a little bit about your your history with race directing. Um, you uh, have been quite the female entrepreneur in the at least in Western Canada. So tell us a little bit about some of the races that you have found yourself directing. Yeah. Um, so Five Peaks had just been a a really great trail series that I I believe started in '98, and so I started running it early and really like the race directors. And then somehow, I think I was directing camps for Trans Rockies, like we were taking people to Hawaii, um, so running camps. And I talked to Catherine, who was the previous owner of Five Peaks, and she was telling me about it. And I I didn't even realize that it was a a business or that it was owned by anybody. And I think she just mentioned that she was getting pretty tired and like her kids were young. And so, yeah, we started talking and I ended up buying it in 2013. And then kind of expanding it from there and growing it and and changing it a bit and the website needed some updating and it just needed I think I think she was pretty tired and I think um it was hard to have young kids in that business so it it was really wonderful to to be on the other side of it but you also realize as a race director like how much goes into a race all the little details and then what not to do as a racer to be high maintenance to to the race directors (laughs) so i I got to see that other side of it (laughs) like do not call me at the last minute and ask me for an entry or you know expect a favor or anything on race day so um (laughs) yeah but it was really neat to be able to grow it and to i i had no idea i'd worked as a nutritionist before that so i had no idea what it like what went into events or even managing a, a group of staff members, right? Like to have a team and, and then to have the races span nationally. Um, 
and what was involved in that and having business partners. And so I had a pretty steep learning curve the first year. And then I kind of got the hang of it after a year or two, I think. And um, really fun to, to get to put my own spin on things. Okay. So there's kind of two, two things I want to ask you and follow up on this. And one is, you know, you mentioned you bought the business and it really was a business and people, I, I think runners sometimes either don't want to, or just don't realize that putting on quality and national level races is a business experience. It, it, there is a staff, there are expenses, there is liability insurance. There's all that kind of stuff that has to go with it. And so you also mentioned that you wanted to do some new things or change some things when you took over the business. So how was that experience for you? What what did you hold on to? What did you change and grow? And how did you find your evolution as a, let's call you a female business owner in this space? Yeah. So I think one of the first changes I made was putting a kid's race in because I thought that was really important for kids to be able to stand on the podium. There had been a kid's race, but it was just a free 1K. So for kids that were like 10 or 12 or older than that, they actually wanted to run. They wanted a medal and they wanted to stand on a podium. And I thought, you know, this isn't like how to get the next generation of trail runners into my races. It was like, kids are coming with their parents anyways. So let's make it a family event. And that was really fun. There could probably easily be a 5K um, or an 8K for kids too. But I think once they get to about 14 or 15, they they typically will just go into the sport category. So mm-hmm. neat to see that and and get feedback from parents about what it meant to train with their kids, um, you know, whether they were only training for the 3K or they all started running together. We've had parents say, we just started training to run with our kids in the 3K, um, mm-hmm. but ended up like falling in love with running. And now we're all running these events. And like, it, it's just a, yeah, it's a really fun community. That, and then we, um, we at one point really had to up our swag game because Mountain Equipment Co-op essentially just like copied our series. And so they were doing races for about $20 when ours were still probably around $45 or $50. And so I said, well, then we're going to have to differentiate ourselves. So we tried to have like more and better food and really great swag items with each race. So really functional, really well-designed quality products. And then just to to try to create more of an atmosphere. Um, and so, so we survived that. And I think the, the Mech series is gone now, which was surprising because we felt like we were going to go under when, when that all happened. And then, yeah, it's been neat to be able to, you know, when you're buying 2,500 items at a time, which is more than any like running store would, it's neat to be able to support local if you can, or um, like we had our, our medals done locally. So just that kind of stuff or work with, um, local artists on t-shirt designs and, and that kind of thing is, it was a really fun outlet for me creatively. Now you're speaking of this in the past tense, so you're not involved with five peaks anymore or what's, where are you at with that now? Yeah. So, um, I sold that to Jacob's company, um, peak run performance in 2021. Um, so it's just been about a year and a half that I haven't been involved and I thought I'd I thought I would have to be more involved, but he really just like took it and ran with it. And, and I'm really grateful that he doesn't tell me what's going on because I'd probably get sucked back in, into a lot of stuff, but we, we tend to not talk about it that much. There, there are some things obviously that like, what did you do in this case? And 
he took over sort of in the middle of the pandemic, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know how long that was going to last. Um, and, and in 2020, when the pandemic hit and we all had to pivot and we went into virtual racing and like that plus four kids at home was just a complete nightmare, which everybody went through. Right. Yeah. There's, um, but, but so he's now just this year sort of starting with all the, all of the in-person races are back this year. So, and there's a lot um, of But I think them. it's going well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, that was a bit of a leading question. I knew that Jacob had taken over the races, but I wanted you to tell the story. And for any of our listeners that want more um, information from his side, we had him on the um, podcast in episode 80. So if you want to hear a little bit more about current stuff with Five Peaks, you can go back and listen to that episode. So you were also involved, Amy, with Transelkirks for a while. You want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that one, um, it started, actually, we were on the on our way to Meet Your Maker and stopped in Revelstoke and we're staying with some friends there. And he was working at the Revelstoke Mountain Resort and said, we have the most vert in Canada. Why don't you do an uphill race here? <laughs> and and I really hadn't spent a lot of time in Revelstoke. It was sort of one of those drive-by things. But then we started trying to put a race together and the mountains there, at the time, were like there were very few trails on RMR they've really built out the trail system there now it's beautiful but at the time I didn't even know you could run in Mount Revelstoke National Park or like how beautiful it was up there because I always just drove through on the way to Vancouver um so we we started a race there it was just a one day and then we started working with Parks Canada and we were the first sanctioned trail race um in a national park um which was really neat to be able to do because they don't typically allow that and then it it sort of morphed into like a three-day event and then we turned it into Trans Selkirk's probably about four or five, four years ago with when we partnered with Trans Rockies. So now there's the Trans Rockies run in Colorado and then there's Trans Selkirk's in Revelstoke, but it's hotel-based, so you're not sleeping in a tent, but same feeling. And it's a hundred miles over five days, or there's a three-day event. And then They've got the Transalpine run, um, which I haven't ever done, but I've heard it's really hard. <laughs> so we're sort of the middle. Um, Trans Rockies is maybe the entry, although it's very difficult. And then Trans Transalpine is, um, I hear a lot of hiking and a ton of elevation. So. Well, and but the, the thing that intrigues me, yes, I'm 45 now. So these, this is attractive to me that you get to sleep in a hotel um, yeah. at, at Trans Selkirk's after some super hard days on the trail. And I mean, there's a cost to that. But at the same time, um, that would be pretty nice to have a really good night's sleep before you head out for, for day one, two, three, four, five, six. So mm -hmm. yeah, this sounds, well, this is a actually... bucket list race for me. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's really nice, and if you if you share a room with other people, the costs are somewhat similar, um, okay. and you're Good sleeping you know. in a really nice bed. And <laughs> every night you take a gondola up to dinner at the mid station, which is it's just yeah, the views are stunning. Oh, it's a really neat event. Great. But yeah, staying in a staying in a place where you can make your own coffee and you have a flush toilet is pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, earlier, you mentioned that when you took over Five Peaks from, was it Catherine? Yeah. She had young kids and she was getting pretty tired and, and, and then you took over. But I'm just kind of doing the math. I'm like, you would have had young kids too yes. uh, during this time. Yes. So uh, I'm just curious what happened to your 
your own running when you started taking on more and more responsibility as a race director? Where did your own personal running goals fall into the picture? I think most of the time with Five Peaks, I tended to not race during the summer. Um, so if I was going to race, it was going to be, you know, after October, after the the last races had sort of finished up, although then you're getting into like sales for next year right away. So that it's not like there's really a slow time. After I had Ashima, I did a marathon probably too soon after and same thing with Noah, but it, it was a lot of training on the treadmill because it was winter. <laughs> so mm-hmm. not ideal really for running because then you just get injured. But when you have small children, it's it's probably easier to be able to run on a treadmill if, if you know, they're yeah. sleeping or. Right. Yeah. But what does that do to your spirit (laughs) running on the treadmill after you're used to running in the mountains all the time? Like I hate running on the treadmill and I'm not used to or accustomed to like beautiful vistas around me all the time, except for when I lived in BC, Uh, but not so much in Manitoba. So uh, like, can you crank out like 20 mile runs on the treadmill and be like happy about that or or how, how does it um, you? <laughs> I wouldn't say happy, but it is a controlled run that I, I can put really good music on or a movie or something and just run. Although Jake was training me for a few of the marathons and he and I are so different. Like he can just lock into a pace and just stay on that pace and not ever get bored as you probably saw with his like world record on the treadmill like he he doesn't care he can just run in circles around one field whereas even if I run the same trails like two or three times a week I'm like I already did this it's a little boring and (laughs) and he's like you're such a mountain snob like just (laughs) like because he grew up in this tiny little farm town right so he's like any hill was was like coveted and he had this little molehill that he used to run up and down so we're just really different trail runners yeah, so he he needed me to learn that patience and that boredom and that just like locking right. into a pace if I wanted to be good at a marathon, which I still feel like I haven't cracked and maybe never will. So I'm yeah. just content running running trails if I can. Right. But you were like you are, I, I don't know where you're sitting with your relationship with the marathon right now, but I know you got yourself down to a three-hour marathon. And I think I read somewhere that you were wanting to crack 250 at some point so has that happened or are you have you given up on marathons uh it still hasn't happened and I I mean unless I can get my feet have um arthritis in them now so I'm trying to sort that out they're they're pretty painful and it just feels like anytime I start training even last October I was like really getting faster and getting closer and I felt like that was reachable and Mm -hmm. and then I got injured and then I had to have an operation. It's <laughs> just all oh this. Gosh. So I don't know. It's it's not a priority anymore. If it happens at some point in my life, I really would like to break three. And I I feel like I can break 250, but only if I can start really focusing on that. I feel like I have the energy for work and family to be my like big energy sucks right now. And so I like to say with running that it's it has to be a lot of giver workouts. So if it's like a super easy jog with a friend that gives that fills my tank. Whereas like going out and trashing myself on a long run on a Sunday morning and then like not even having the energy to play with my kids that afternoon is a taker. And I just, I feel like I don't have the energy for taker workouts right now. So. Oh, I love the way you put that. that. 
Yes. When you first said give her workout, I'm like, what does she run hard constantly? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I thought, too. <laughs> but yeah, give, yeah, like the ones that filling that your cup as opposed to draining it, leave you more, yeah. yeah, leave you more energized rather than, than less. Yeah. I hear you there. Yeah. So, you know, this might be a good time to talk about the nourishing uh, side of um, taking care of yourself. Um, let's let's talk right now about your company, Access Nutrients. I know that you started your professional journey in nursing and moved into nutrition um, and the more prevention side of healthcare. So why don't you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I was in nursing at U of A and I really liked the first few years of it, but then I had been working in a health food store while going to school. And I, I think on the medicine rotation, I just started getting really disillusioned with the number of pills that people were taking and not seeing any improvement. And then talking to my nursing profs about like alternative treatments and her just saying, this is what we do. This is the protocol. Don't question it. Um, and it was specifically about this one Crohn's patient that was like 90 pounds and she just had, you know, she was eating, drinking Ensure and losing weight and nothing was getting better. And I was like, but there are options here. Like, could we try these other things? And I, it was right around that time that I, I walked downstairs and I called my dad and I said, I'm quitting nursing. Like, I'm, mm. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be part of this type of medicine. I want to work on the other side of it and prevent people from getting into this place in the first place. Mm -hmm. So then I moved into, into nutrition and I, as much as it felt really scary to do that at the time, I don't regret any of it because that path has now led me into where I am with access nutrients. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just wanting, like just knowing that it was right and learning the power of food, the power of raw food, the power of live enzymes in your body, and then starting to learn more about um, what enzymes can do for you. And, and that sort of led me into excess nutrients. So, Okay. So yeah, you mentioned uh, enzymes. You found you got curious about this. And I know you started researching. Um, I'm going to try to say these two enzymes and tell me if I'm pronouncing them wrong. Phytate and phytase. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay. So we, we reassured you before the podcast, we don't need a graduate level um, explanation <laughs> into what these, what these um, two enzymes are. But, you know, if you can kind of tell us essentially why, why did you choose to focus so much of your time and energy on these two specific enzymes? And why did you think that they're important for the body? Um, so phytate isn't actually an enzyme. It's a, an anti-nutrient. And Phytase is the enzyme that breaks it down. So phytate okay. binds to zinc, iron, calcium, and magnesium. Um, and it also affects amino acids and protein in the body. So it's basically the way that the plant protects itself from being eaten before it has a chance to sprout. So plants are really smart. And we all think that they're just sitting there waiting to be eaten, but they have incredible defense mechanisms. And they also have very healing properties, but you have to know which are good and then which ones are going to cause problems. So when you eat a seed or a nut or a grain, if you haven't broken down that phytate through like a fermentation process, which is how we used to make sourdough bread or a lot of grains were prepared through fermentation, then you're getting a ton of this phytate, which is then preventing your body from absorbing 
again, zinc, iron, calcium, and magnesium, and then also affecting your amino acids, which are the building blocks for proteins and DNA and RNA and all of that in your body. So when I started read, I was reading a couple different books. One was an anthropology book and one was a nutrition book. One night, um, I think after my kids had gone to bed, I just like to spread out on the floor and read, read books. And I was like, what is phytase? Like, why have I not ever heard of this in all of my nutrition training in nursing? Like, what is this? And it, it felt like something pretty, um, I don't know how to explain it. Like something being dropped on me, like pay attention to this. Okay. Your intuition was saying pay attention. Yeah. Like it, it does feel like this is something that was, I feel like it's, it's like coming through me versus from me. Um, Mm. If that makes sense, if you believe in Mm -hmm. higher power, but I started researching it and then just being like blown away, away by number one, that nobody had done anything with this yet, which still to this day, I, I don't know why. And number two, how significant the iron and zinc deficiencies are in the world, like 2 billion people each for each of those are zinc and iron deficient. And then how important those micronutrients are for our immune systems, for cognitive health, for like literally everything. Athletic performance. (laughs) Yeah. um, Your whole body is driven by enzymes and therefore not having access to those micronutrients it, it, you're, you're blocking your body from being able to do what it needs to do. So right. phytase just removes that block, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm hearing, just to summarize here, basically these allow the absorption of these other minerals and nutrients into your body. So you could take all the, you know, calcium, zinc supplements you want, but if your body can't and your gut can absorb that and use it, it's for not. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, it's just going out the other end. Yeah. Right. And that's why, I mean, early on we had, we had an athlete with ferritin levels at like four and she had, she was going for transfusions all the time and she couldn't get it up. And within, I think a month, her energy had come back and her iron levels like stabilized around a hundred and they've never gone back down. So that's, that's just iron. We've seen stuff like that. We've also seen magnesium and people that can't sleep or can't sleep Mm -hmm. because of leg cramps all night people after chemo that have had really bad cramping and literally the first night that they take it, they sleep through the night and they don't ever get cramps again. So it's just all sorts of stories started coming in after I I first put the enzyme out and it's been really amazing. Like I didn't ever expect that it would be, I mean, you have this fear, right? Like this could be nothing. And I, I could just be this laughing stock of nutrition. Like what were you thinking? This enzyme does nothing. But all my research was saying this is something like really big. And why aren't people making the connection between absorption and how critical these micronutrients are? Um, And really third world is where I think it's really important because women and children are still dying of iron deficiency and hidden hunger, which is a micronutrient deficiency. So that just that's just wrong to me that that there's such a simple solution. And even just going back to preparing your foods in a traditional way would would help with that in those areas. So, Well, I've always heard that, you know, the saying like you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. I've actually heard, you know, it taken one step further to be you are what you absorb. Because if you're eating all this stuff and as you're saying, it's not actually getting in and it's just going out the other end, then then it what's the point, right? But it's really exactly. unlocking, like, how do we get that in there? So it's, it's so true. It's like you, you're in a nutrition program and you're not really learning 
these things. Like there was a major mm-hmm. disconnect here. And, and you said you kind of got interested in it with the story of this Crohn's patient. So, mm-hmm. um, did the loop ever get closed on that? Like you're talking about its implications in athletes and, um, in the third world and, and everything, but people that suffer from gastrointestinal illnesses like Crohn's disease, like I, I can see a huge potential in, in how it would serve populations like that. Yeah, actually it's, it's funny that, that you asked because that's, um, we've now kind of just pivoted with, uh, patented a few different formulas and, and we're moving into drug development. So I've got the supplement side of things, but it's now turned into drug development. Some stuff about this, I I can't say because of the patent, but um, (laughs) with the Crohn specifically back in, I think September last year, I isolated a pathway to be able to turn that off. And so like we had seen Crohn's colitis and IBS patients that had been taking really high doses of like prednisone or Remicade, which is a immunosuppressant that has a ton of repercussions um, and side effects in the body, right? If you take immunosuppressants for too long, you can end up with cancer. Like there are a lot of really bad side effects to these drugs um, and they weren't working for these people. And then- And they're expensive, right? Yeah. In Canada, one lady was taking, it was $10,000 a month um, that- Alberta Healthcare and I guess her insurance company covered, but that's the cost of it. Um, and so I don't know what people do in the U.S. if they have Crohn's or colitis. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been one of our biggest areas of impact. One of the guys that I used to run with at U of A has has had Crohn's for 16 years, and when he started taking this, he almost immediately started improving, was able to gain weight, doesn't have any flare-ups, and has now moved into, I think his. He goes about 12 weeks between infusions now where he was like having to go down to the Mayo Clinic to get extra treatment because he couldn't even get help in Alberta. So, um, yeah, so oddly enough, that was (laughs) it has closed the loop on on Crohn's and colitis and IBS. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. So I'm actually just sitting here in in awe, to be honest. Um, You are an amazing woman. So not only did you... (laughs) change careers by following your heart and aligning with your passions. But you did a deep dive with intense curiosity into something that you knew sounds like quite intuitively could help people. And it didn't stop there. You're talking about isolating pathways and bottling a product and marketing it and selling it and getting, you know, uh, distribution networks. And this is no small thing. Like you have obviously really been called to this journey with this mm-hmm. company. And uh, it's very admirable. And now moving into, you know, the drug world, I can't even imagine all the different hoops you have to hop through for that. And it sounds like, are you working in two different countries? Like, I think it was on your website and it looks like your product ships from the US. Yeah. So um, we do have an NPN number for Canada, which is what you have to get to be able to sell in Canada. But the US, you can have a much higher dose and you really need that with this to, to be able to see an effect is probably like 1500 units of phytase a day and in Canada we're allowed like 190. So hence okay. the reason for doing some of the clinical trials. We just finished our first mouse study. Um, there's a hamster study happening in a few months. And then it looks like the one in Ghana is going to get started in um, women and girls there. Um, and that'll be on iron deficiency, but other immune markers as well. 
so yeah, it definitely is a calling and it's something that I've actually tried to like give away a number of times because I felt like I didn't have the knowledge. I wasn't a PhD biochemistry, you know, whatever, whatever to, to be able to actually do something with this. So I've, I've literally tried to give it away like for 12 years, like somebody do something with this who has the training or an immunologist or something. And it just keeps getting thrown back at me. Mm. And, and so it's like, okay, fine. I'm yeah, going to do, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was in 2019 when I, I had just read the plant paradox and I was like, I, I don't even know if I can feed my kids anything anymore. Like what I, I kind of had like a breakdown. I was like, I don't know. There's no food that's safe out there right now. I thought I was doing everything right, even as a nutritionist. <laughs> Turns out it's all wrong. And then I read a book. It was a children's book called What Do You Do With an Idea? And it was another like punch in the face. Like you need to do this because no one else is doing it and the world needs it. And that's when I started it up again. And that was still like Five Peaks was happening and then pandemic hit. And so that was all like a pretty crazy 2020. But um, now we're working with Innovate Calgary and the Health Sciences Innovation Hub at the U of C. And I have an immunologist um, consulting for us and other biotech consultants. And so I'm learning a lot. And we've started our our first, like I said, the first animal study. We, we actually just got results from that, which is really exciting. So that is very exciting. And, and as your team assembles, are you starting to feel more validated in your conviction, like that this is something and, and the world needs this, like as, as the trials start to be done and, and all of these scientists are coming on board? Like, is it sort of that validation that you needed? Yeah, it definitely is. I had posted something on Instagram, I think, which is how I met Angela Benton, who's our, our immunologist now. Um, and she wrote to me and said, hey, I just want you to know that I think your theory is actually bang on. <laughs> wow. And I'd like to talk to you more about that. And so now she's working for the company. So it's, yeah, it's really, it's been really interesting and, and definitely validating. But also, like, I think you need to learn to trust yourself more. And it's not something I've been good at for most of my life. Yeah. And I, I think now I'm more like, no, this, I should have trusted myself 12 years ago versus mm -hmm. like always thinking I was wrong or that this was like, I guess it's a bit of imposter syndrome or, or maybe that's way off. I don't know. I, no, I just didn't think I knew anything, but it's, it, to me, it's like, um, instead of being like deep in the trenches, if I was an immunologist or a biochemist, it's sort of like zooming out and getting a big picture and I feel like I'm good at the big picture stuff and not so much at the like very detailed chemistry mm -hmm. level. And that's why you have a team. <laughs> exactly. They know what they're doing. They've gone to school yeah. for 12 years. I can ask right. them the questions. So, right. yeah. Well, just on a, on a personal self-serving note about this, because everything you're saying is just like, ah, like so bang on to, to kind of my own experience. And, um, but where I've struggled with it a little bit and so super curious to hear your perspective is when it comes to, uh, fueling ourselves as athletes, like, 
you know, there's mm-hmm. the healthy whole food and the like, you know, look at everything that I'm eating. And then there's the like, I just have to get a whole lot of like calories down the hatch. So I'm eating like, you know, gels and <laughs> sports drinks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So where, mm-hmm. how have you kind of reconciled that little disconnect in your own training? Um, well, I think training and racing are, are different. I think one thing that people don't always consider is that digestion takes up up to 70% of your energy, right? So you you have to balance between overloading your digestive system and being exhausted all the time, which a lot of people are just because so much of their energy is going into digestion versus how much you're actually getting out of that. So if you eat and then you're like, you need to take a nap after you eat, then obviously the food didn't serve its purpose, right? Okay. (laughs) And a lot of people get that, right? right? Like you, if you had a massive plate of pasta with cream sauce at lunch, you're probably going to have a nap. Or if you don't have digestion that's like moving properly, um, if you're not eliminating properly, pooping, I think all runners talk about poop a lot, but. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and moms parents. and runners, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm pretty comfortable with poop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know people that, but um, so even just that, like some people think it's normal to go every four days and they can't figure out why they're exhausted. And, yeah, yeah. and that's a huge thing. Like you need, yeah, you need to have a clean digestive system. So it's it's a balance between putting in food that you can actually process, which I think should be like 50 to 80% raw if you can, because then you've got all those live enzymes in it. So th- yeah, the balance of, of that. Um, race day is a different story. I think for me anyways, if I can get nutrients in without like a ton of digesting having to happen. Fiber, like I could yeah. do great. Yeah, I could do green juice because it's almost an immediate, like you get those absorbed into your system right away and fluids more than like having to actually digest a big meal before a race. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just me. Some people are very fast metabolizers and they need a big meal before a race just to be able to make it through. So it's so unique to each person. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a fascinating, fascinating conversation. I think it could go on all day, but we want to respect your time. So, you know, we've, we've covered a lot. You're such a successful entrepreneur. You're a mother. We know you're super busy, but just on the kind of mother front for a second, what do you hope your children have picked up and learned from you um, with regards to nutrition, which with regards to living an active, healthy lifestyle and maybe, and maybe running too. Like they see both their (laughs) mom and dad running as well. Right. So uh, what do you, what do you want them to uh, take away from your example? I I think both of my daughters, well, Natalie for sure um, is going into nutritional sciences and business at UBC which I didn't push her into. She's just (laughs) chosen that. And the other one's going into human rights law. She called me the other, Natalie called the other day and said, oh, I wish I wasn't inside, like working all day at this job. It's beautiful out. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that is one of the benefits of owning your own company is that you can, you can block off an hour and a half in the middle of your day as a meeting to go for a run um, or to be outside or to, to choose that. So just be really conscious in what you're choosing as a career path you know, as a doctor, you might spend your days under fluorescent lights and hate your life. (laughs) So yeah, you have to, um, existing on coffee, I think. Yeah. And ironically, you maybe went to be a doctor because you wanted to help in, you know, give back to the health industry. It's like such a paradox. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't take care of yourself at all. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think, I think I like, I would like them to see 
the business side of things. I don't have a business yeah. degree, but I've, I've learned it. And I've also heard that it's not really about what you learn in school. It's more about relationships and people. So it, I think that's really important. But then I hope that one day they see the perseverance. I think that it's like not giving up on something just because it got hard, whether that's running or, or with access nutrients, like the number of times that you try to talk to somebody and they don't understand, or they, they say, well, you're going to have to talk to an immunologist, or you're going to have to talk to a doctor, or you're going to have to talk to a nutritionist. <laughs> like yeah. we all need to talk to each other or, or even just from running. Like my older daughters say that they don't like running at all. Like they hate running, even though they used to like it, but they probably <laughs> just don't want to be like us. Um, <laughs> and I said, you're only I 17. Love... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they may come to it. Um, yeah. But I, I said to them, like, I don't love every run. Often it's painful or it's hard or it's not like I love being in the middle of the run, but I love what it does for me and I love how I feel after. So there are some things you can do and you can get through that give you, there are a ton of benefits on the other side, but don't, don't shy away from that just because it's hard or just because it's a, a little bit painful. Exactly. So. Okay. So we were going to ask you, you know, what life lessons have you learned on the trail and what has running taught you? How has it helped you grow? And I think you really highlighted some key things there, you know, persistence, resilience, nothing lasts forever. It may be hard now. It's not always going to be or vice versa. The good times don't last forever either, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Is, is, there, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Is, are there any other kind of things you gained as a young adult in running that have you know, served you over the years? Yeah, it's funny how running has changed for me from being something that was more of like a, an outlet for energy when I was young. Like I, I needed somewhere for that all to go versus now, you know, probably more like mental health than anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't think I could run on a treadmill now. It's like, I need to be outside. I need to get away from my desk. And I need to move and I need my blood to move and it gives me energy, right? If I do the right, right. kind of run, it's, it gives me energy. So yeah, it, I guess it's, it's just changed so much in my life, but probably, probably that it's when it's hard, there's still, you're still going to come out the other side. And mm -hmm. after having kids, I think there's no pain like that. So now I know I can get yeah. through some pretty <laughs> severe pain. Amen. <laughs> well, I think what you just said there, I really want to just pause on. Like I asked the question kind of in the past context as if you weren't running anymore. But yeah, I mean, you still are involved in this community. And you've changed your relationship with it and you've allowed running to become different for you and to meet your needs wherever you are at, at this moment in life. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things about our sports is that it really can serve so many different needs for a person where they are in their age, where they are in their stress levels, where they are with their relationships, you know, whether you want to run alone or with people, it can really just be that, that gift um, but we need to recognize to, to maintain a relationship with running that is in alignment with where we're at at this point in time. And I'm hearing that from mm -hmm. you. You've done that. Well, and I just remember this. I think when I started running, you know, you're a teenage girl. I didn't like my body. Um, I, did, I hated my bum. And so I was running to like change my body shape. Right. And so for a while, it was like a punishment, <laughs> right? right? It was like, which I, 
I think people are starting to talk about more now. So I, mm -hmm. I'm okay to say that. Um, but then it did start to morph into more of like, there are so many other benefits and then the people that I've met through it and the community that's developed and buying five peaks and, you know, like, so even though I started it maybe for the wrong reasons, it's just become such a gift in my life and such a constant. So I'm really grateful for it. And I hope that I can keep doing it forever, even if it's only two or three times a week. Um, and I add in other sports eventually, but yeah, there's something about trail running. I think just like being in the forest just makes me really happy. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a favorite place to run? Any trail anywhere in the world. Um, I really love running in the Alpine, um, especially like around Sunshine Meadows and Healy Pass. That's oh, where, yes. yeah, just up in the Alpine, I think is, is a pretty amazing place to be, especially when the larches are out. Then I oh, feel like I'm yes. running in heaven. <laughs> the colors are just like and some people don't even know what larches are and I just when I'm up in the mountains with a blue sky and then these golden trees and the sun is shining and the lakes are blue like I don't think there's anywhere I'd rather yeah. be on a run I, Anyways. I have to agree my I've only been to Healy Pass once and it was during large season and I just I think I probably took a thousand pictures that day it was just <laughs> stunning just Aww. stunning yeah you just want to lay down beside a creek and just yeah. stay there forever yeah. yeah okay do you have a, a race on your bucket list still I really I think I'd like to do something in France although I don't know whether that'll be Tour de Mont Blanc or Transalpine or I've just always wanted to run in the Alpine in in France or in Europe in general okay how about a favorite running book or movie it's probably cliche I chariots of fire <laughs> oh, it's probably my favorite you know what not movie. that many people have said that one kim it is a good oh, really? movie yes yeah. so good yeah awesome. i really like what he says about what is it when i run i feel god's pleasure yes mm -hmm. but yeah mm -hmm. just connecting to something bigger yes mm -hmm. in the middle of in the middle of the run yeah that's the theme of this podcast i think yeah <laughs> yeah um okay final question do you have a favorite post-run indulgence yeah, if it's after five, a beer. <laughs> Especially after when it's five. Hot. So specific. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously not if it's like six thirty in the morning. Yes, but yes. Just, yeah. Like if you come in from Fair. a really hot run, um, and there's a really cold beer, that's a pretty mm, great like yeah. just sit on the deck or hang out with the kids and stretch and yeah, yeah, probably a beer Perfect. or like uh, doing long mountain runs. I have a group of women I run with. We call ourselves the Girl Gang. And we'll have tailgate parties after and just sit nice. with our lawn chairs in the, in the parking lot and have a beer after. So that's pretty nice. Perfect. too. Amy, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. You've really piqued my curiosity in a few different places. I am going to be ordering a bottle or a mm -hmm. whatever jar of, of access nutrients to try that out. We'll link to that in the show notes at the bottom of our um, show notes. Uh, before we close, what's next for you? Do you have anything planned, any adventures planned for the rest of the summer or for the rest of the year? I don't right now just because we're, we're so deep in this, like, um, the animal studies that I, I'm sort of mm. just trying to stay close to home and not complicate anything yeah. too much. I'm registered for Chicago, but if that doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. So like it, the Chicago again, Marathon? I just, yeah. Wow. She just throws okay. that out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, I was going to go with some girlfriends and I've never, I've never gone 
um, to Chicago before. So uh, if that happens, that would be great. But I also might be back into um, trying to raise millions of dollars for more drug trials. So <laughs> we'll just see how things go. It's just, it's like a nice to have, not a need to have. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, if, if other people's interests besides Kim's are, are peaked from this conversation, where would you like us to point people to where they can learn more? Do you have some, a social media channel or a website for the, for access nutrients? Yeah, it's um, accessnutrients.org. And yeah, it's same on, on Instagram um, at access nutrients. And then I'm just Amy Pusey on Instagram. Okay. Awesome. We'll, we'll link all of that in the show notes. So thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure. Nice talking to you. It's been nice to talk to you both as well. Thanks so much for having me on. 